like again it comes down to preparation and i think athletes need to to really uh, take ownership of it um and like a young student athlete should be if they can do tell their parents what to um you know what to buy them and what to prepare for them but ideally take ownership of your of your own performance um you know i i think all all ages if you really want it you've got to then you've got to seek it because parents and guardians don't always know that's the best thing for you to have and that's what probably why the, your audience are listening to this right now because they want to get better and he's here he is here cristiano has entered the building yes guys welcome back to today's episode of sculpted today we have ted munson on here and it's an honor to have him on uh i have ted on linkedin which is how i got in touch with him and ted works as a nutritionist in sports and it's a really interesting topic for all of us today to listen to Ted's experiences in nutrition, uh, the people who he's worked with, and we really, really need to, you know, as as footballers, as people who are working in sports, as business people who are listening, nutrition is something, and it's something that's very important to help you get the most out of what you're doing in day-to-day life, help you sculpt yourself by 1%, 2%, maybe even more, because nutrition is something where you really can take the next step in your performance that you know take it to the next level so that being said really excited to uh get ted on today and ted if you can just give us a bit of background on yourself and uh who you are what you stand for that'd be great oh yeah so firstly nick val thank you very much for having me on um that i love doing these sort of things because don't always get the opportunity and i think you kind of just hit the nail on the head with that introduction right there of like the importance of nutrition certainly well not just for athletic individuals but for you know, anyone who is interested in having a high performance lifestyle. Um, so yeah, like I said, uh, my name's Ted. Um, I've been a performance nutritionist for nine years now, coming up to 10. Um, I graduated from the University of Hull um, back in 2014, uh, sport and exercise science to be honest. Back then I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to work in elite sport in some capacity, whether that be I was interested in like performance analysis, strength and conditioning, fitness coaching. To be honest, nutrition never really like, um, it, it wasn't really like a thing back then in professional sports. Um, back in 2014, there was, I think there was like four nutritionists working in the Premier League, which was crazy. Didn't even like bat an eyelid about it. Uh, but I was really lucky. <clears throat> after I finished, after I uh, graduated, I bought a, uh, like a sports science internship. And at the time that was at um, Hull City Football Club. Uh, so that was back in the, in the Steve Bruce era, um, 2014 to 2016. So Premier League, back down to the Championship and then back up to the Premier League. So it was, um, that was a huge experience for me, um, just straight in the thick of it after university. And during that time, I was doing my master's uh, in, in sport and exercise science where I focused on uh, like uh, publishing a couple of papers uh, in hydration, even though I kind of didn't, um, it was in nutrition, but it wasn't technically like a sport and exercise nutrition master's, it was technically sports science. Uh, but that's where I really, it was at Hull City where I really found like that nutrition is, has a huge impact on performance. Also, kind of more so than any other aspect of sports science that those guys were doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to work with, you know, some of the best best athletes there that, that we know of today. People like Harry Maguire, Andy Robertson, they were all at Hull City then. And we even had like Hatton Ben Arthur coming in and out. And, and I learned a lot about the high performance individuals there. Uh, and I, I learned a lot about myself as well, about what I was good at and kind of what I was bad at as well and what I needed to work on. Um, so yeah, so after I'd, I did my master's there, um, knew the nutrition was what I wanted to work on. Um, so I did, um, to, to basically to become a registered sport and exercise nutritionist, I had to then go and do further education on top of my master's. So I did a postgraduate in sport and exercise nutrition at, um, at Leeds Beckett University, which is a, a really good university here in the UK uh, for, for nutrition. Um, and I was already kind of practicing a bit as a nutritionist there, but I needed that qualification to get on the sport and exercise nutrition register, um, which we'll probably go into a little more detail later, but that is basically anyone who is, is fully qualified in nutrition is registered under the British Dietetics Association. Certainly over here, I know in the US they have their own version uh, and certainly in Australia have their own version as well. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, 
you can technically do a three-day course and call yourself a nutritionist but some of us have uh, done a little bit more than that than others uh, to be certainly to be working in that elite environment uh, so it was after 2016 I moved down to London um, and I started working with a couple of teams really started working with a company called Science and Sport um, nutrition company in my role there they would kind of put me out to certain athletes I've got some experience with Team Sky, USS Cycling, various different football teams. It was really, really good, really exposed me into new environments and different people and different athletes and understanding how different people work because I was kind of really focused on football at that time. Then four and a half years ago, I set up my own company um, and that was really kind of focusing on on elite teams. So did some work with um, some Millwall Football Club for a couple of years, started work with Birmingham City Football Club, which I still, I still work with now for the last four years. Um, did some um, did some work in, in Elite Rugby Union for, for a team called Harlequins, which, you know, if you're a fan of rugby union, it's one of the biggest teams in Europe. Um, since the two years ago, I started with uh, a Formula One team, which was a huge um, kind of culture shock for me. But again, it's just more learning, particularly around that traveling side of things. And since the start of this year, um, I, I left Harlequins and joined uh, Brentford Football Club as their first team sports nutritionist. So... I feel like I've been around and I've been exposed to various different environments and definitely learned a lot, um, all of which kind of shapes my philosophy that I try and implement today. It's crazy. I, I love, I think that the the thing that is really, really cool about, you know, your, your story is how you just got dropped straight to the deep end with Hull. I think, you know, how you were staying in 2014 around this time, maybe four or so, you know, nutritionist in the Premier League it's crazy that you know not many people were taking it seriously to the degree that they are today and maybe not even enough um it was crazy whether they, they could even do at all I mean they had a guy come in and I still speak to him today a guy called Shane Furler who's a researcher out at Leeds and he'd come in like one or two days a month and and basically my job was to implement what he was kind of giving me and now I think that imagine if I was going into, you know, my Premier League team one or two days a month, it'd be really hard to have that impact and develop those relationships. Um, so I think it's it's definitely a growing, it's still growing. I think it's probably one of the fastest growing areas of sports science. Um, things like fitness, coaching, strength and conditioning, GPS has been at what was a lot earlier. But certainly sports nutrition is, is getting bigger and bigger and we're seeing more and more graduates every year. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there's not, enough jobs for the people graduating is really really tough um but it definitely makes the certain individuals stand out and that it is about the finer percentages yeah yeah 100 percent. i think as you said just then even for the people i know that in australia sports nutrition is massive actually uh for people just wanting to do degrees but finding a career in that it's very difficult because it's it, yes it's competitive but also the lack of jobs for people i think it's very difficult to have a full-time job in sports nutrition i know that even in some of the football clubs that I've been at, uh, not having a full-time sports nutritionist is a common thing because you can't just neglect, let's say, or put aside hundreds of thousands of dollars for, you know, having a full team of, let's say, a chef, nutritionist, things like this. It's very difficult. And only in the top echelons of football teams where they can afford this can you really actually see that full nutrition team implemented. And I think obviously at Brentford, um, I've had a friend who was at Brentford for... Uh, a few months of on trial and he, he was telling me the the amazing things about uh you know the the chefs the, the nutritionist uh, he probably actually he's listening he would definitely be listening to this episode so chat for him uh, but yeah he, there was a lot of uh, amazing stories that i heard even just about the details to these small things you know but unfortunately due to the not lack of funding uh kind of lack of funding but also the lack of um i guess resources that are available to this important aspect of football it makes that uh you know implementation of the finer details not as accessible to the clubs who are maybe lower down in the division so for example for my current situation in my club we don't have a sports nutritionist um but we have our strength and conditioning coach who is knowledgeable enough to give advice to the players but it's definitely a very um competitive and and difficult area to get full-time uh, work in. And that's why I think you see a lot of sports nutritionists taking on their own kind of business. And I know that in Australia with the sports nutritionists that I, will, that I was working with uh, from my own like 
out, I was reaching out to them. It was mainly through companies where they were all working together. I was working with some nutritionists from an app and they were working with the PSA from Australia and they were trying to get all the footballers to uh, work this way. And it was just a bit more efficient for them because then they didn't have to go and have an office where they have to, you know, pay for all these things so they have regard for any of to make it I, I think for me that one-to-one developing the relationship is really really important when it comes to food uh, and, and certainly like there is no one size fits all model when it comes to nutrition like everybody's individual um you might even have some you know people in the same position the same weight the same height the same sort of physiological stats but the way they approach things could be completely different so like that's something you've got to factor in with nutrition that you know, it might be a little bit different to strengthen conditioning, you know, where a lot of te- a lot of teams will do kind of the same base five or six exercises. Um, but certainly, like, yeah. nutrition is they're the most individual thing, I, I think, out there. And I think it's very personal as well. Like, it's very, very personal. I think that's probably why you get a barriers sometimes, is that everybody eats. You know, everybody has an opinion about nutrition. I think everybody gets nutrition advice, probably from the wrong places like at the minute things like tiktok instagram it's an absolute nightmare and it's a minefield and there's people that look a certain way or play a certain way and because they do that and they say they eat like this all of a sudden everyone jumps on onto that and a big part of my job is is trying to understand what works for the individual because i've never i've worked with hundreds of of, of players uh, at the elite level and not one of them have, have done things the same as another player I, I i couldn't tell you one one way um because we all burn different amount of calories um we have different ways that our gut works we have different ways that our you know we tolerate food during exercise some of us feel ill when we have an energy gel at half time some of us could couldn't have more they feel really hungry and it's it's trying to find that way for that different person so it is really hard but there are kind of ways that you know that we'll discuss that you know there are places to start and places where you can learn about yourself and ways that you can individualize your own nutrition and i'll try and point you in the right direction of where to go for that yeah yeah it's you know as i said it's very individual for perfect person and uh we've actually had a previous episode just us as co-host val me and uh, the other co-host charlie we were talking about just personal anecdotes and experience of nutrition for me i am a, ve- a very obsessive person and so is val and so is charlie uh unfortunately for me i was the one who developed the eating disorder because of the obsessive nature very easy to do though but for those boys it worked in their favor and it's a very very similar approach but different results and it's done that you know from person to person different results happen and i mean we may have been told the exact exact same information right but for me, it turned out completely different. And uh, even something interesting with Val, with his uh, nutrition company, he has his company called Sit, And it's a very, I'd say, a very unique approach to even just the protein um, marketplace. And I think, Val, if, if you want to give a bit of an introduction even on to where your approach of protein uh, and digestion and things like this because Val's company is yeah I'd say it's it's quite uh, unique given in that aspect so Val if you want to give it a bit on that that'd be great yeah sure I, I quickly want to touch base on on a very specific uh, thing Ted talked about it's not that we are all individuals and we often see professional players diets or routines or what they have in their changing rooms in terms of what nutrition they can have we see that through social media and I would say and I think Ted also touched base on it we are all individual. We shouldn't try to copy anyone's diet out there because it, it may be working for them. And that's one personal experience I gained. I tried and errored a lot of things. You know, I saw stuff on social media that I wanted to try out and then I had to experience for myself that it wouldn't work. And so basically that's how I also came to the supplements industry. And um, it's a topic that I have a big interest in because I t- try to take care about my, my body. And uh, so basically with the current supplements or protein powders more specifically which are out there i personally have a big problem because i'm one lactose intolerant i perceive that the perspective of the the market is more focused on bodybuilding getting buff and we as endurance athletes need to work more on improving our athleticism or performance on the field and supplying us with nutrients that uh, recover us that help us 
in, in the further experience. So how is my company uh, different in that sense? I've tried to think about how the athletes consume a protein powder. I am lactose intolerant. I We do need protein in that sense. But I think we also need to um, consider more how, how are products, uh, how do products affect athletes in particular? How is their, their digestion affected? What measures do we have in place to help their digest, digestion? Because we have so, such modern diets, you know, so many different ingredients per meal, per snack, whatsoever. Our body is constantly working. And as you guys mentioned, Nick, for example, has a different metabolism than mine. I am very lucky. I think I'm very lucky that my metabolism is very good. I can eat as much calories as I want because I also burn a lot, roughly 4,000 on a very high um, day. Um, but as my friends, for example, I eat a lot and they always ask me, why don't you gain weight or whatsoever? And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that out of my perspective, my metabolism is very good. And I think that's very unique to each player. Every player is individual. That's why also their supplements need to be individual. Maybe my product doesn't work for everyone, but that's okay because we are all individual. We all need to find something that works from yourself. And I've tried to break the market in terms of um, going away from the very lactose amounts that are currently present in, in the products. And I know many people out there have lactose intolerant problems, minor ones or whatsoever. They, they are very sensitive to protein powders. They get bloated, they have digestive issues, etc. So I am breaking that with my product in terms of um, guaranteeing no side effects. So that's just a little info about symptoms. I like I like that, but like you brought up some really interesting points there. Um, the first one being metabolism. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of debunk that a little bit. I think I think some people do have sort of what they call as like a better metabolism than others. You know. Yeah, a lot of that can depend on your body type. You know, so you might help. Everyone kind of remembers that kind of skinny friend that just eats everything and it just kind of doesn't put it on. Like, yeah, we can actually test for that. You know, we, we can do tests that, um, like, that analyze the gas, so analyze what we basically expend and the breathe on it tells you how many calories you burn at rest. And one thing that you'll do is you could find, you know, two similar athletes, both, say, 80 kilos, for example, um, you can stick them on the gas analysis machine and it will tell you that one player will burn 1,700 calories at rest and one player burns 2,000 calories at rest. It's really, really interesting. There are sums and equations that we can do to work it out and kind of make a good guesstimate of it that kind of have been shown that it is accurate within 5%. Um, and to, to do that simple, um, you know, I, I always use Omni Calculator. It's quite good. So you can just Google like... Um, RMR calculator Omni and it will come up and you type in your details on that and it'll tell you how many calories you burn at burn at rest or when you're doing nothing. Um, but yeah, some people do have a faster metabolism than others, but I think a lot of the times it's really not that complicated. It's some people think, oh, well, how can he can how come he can eat whatever he wants and, and not gain weight or, or build the muscle mass that he builds when actually some people need to kind of break down their diet a little bit. But some people might be gaining weight because they're eating excess sources for the amount of calories that are that are like hidden in sources that people don't actually remember in their day-to-day -day. consumption is crazy people can easily hide five six hundred calories worth of sauce and add in sugar to coffee and things like that that they just completely forget about when they think back about their diet so i think metabolism plays definitely plays a key uh, role in it but also just reflecting on what you do and where the kind of hidden points are if i if I ask any of you two to do like a, almost like a 24 hour recall on what you had in the last 24 hours, um, you know, there's tons of research out there to show that people underestimate what they actually think they had. I think that's kind of where people need to start when thinking about their diet is recording what you do. Um, and then, you know, are, what, is what you're doing matching what you're doing based on your goal? So what is your goal first? Is it to lose weight, maintain weight, gain weight? What's your performance goal? alongside that is it to gain strength is it to get quicker is it to increase endurance and then go from there you've got to take those steps but you've got to reflect on yourself as well um and I'm, i fully agree with the with the lactose um in in whey protein I, I work with um a lot of players that are lactose in, intolerant um or have full-on allergies of lactose so it is definitely a gap that people need to think about because what's more important hitting your protein goal or you know having an upset stomach afterwards um but it's def definitely something that we all need to look at and 
you know, I think every single person out there, not just athletes, have a form of intolerance, whether it be a sensitivity to gluten, uh, which is a common one. Lactose is a hugely common one. Um, and it's important that you reflect on your diet and don't exclude things. There are tests that you can get, like IgA tests and things like that, that aren't 100% accurate. And the best thing to do is, say, lactose, um, you know, completely exclude it from the diet for a week, monitor how you feel, rate how you feel, and then slowly introduce that back into your diet. And again, monitor how you feel. If you find that your stomach changes and the way you're dealing with things changes, then you want to be looking at, at alternative options. Um, but certainly by using a, a low lactose or no lactose protein powder, it definitely wouldn't hurt you. If anything, it could increase digestion because a lot of times we don't get symptoms of sensitivities. Um, and and I, I would agree, we'd get better absorption from that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that even uh, the fact where you step, you know, having that maybe lower lactate uh, dose of a protein source that can that can actually help you perform better, which is exactly what we talk about at Sculpted, right? The reason why um, a bit of background with um, getting Val on as a co-host, it was originally just myself and Charlie, and we wanted uh, we ended up getting Val on because we really liked his uh, you know approach to things, and we realized that his product in itself is it's a perfect way to sculpt yourself to get that little one percent, and again, it's uh, Val and I both use Whoop. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it probably are um but we we track you know everything through whoop these habits for me personally i'm also lactose intolerant um and i find that i am negative eight percent on an average if i have let's say i think it's five um likes well whatever the measurement is for um how many doses of lactose basically so on average i'm negative eight percent of my recovery so yeah um so basically that's that's a massive uh component for myself you know obviously every single day i would have put my best foot forward but let's say if i've had you know some yogurt the day before well my recovery is compromised you know i'm more susceptible to an injury now maybe i'm not as aware my my bloating is higher everything like this it's a very interesting take on you know just gulping yourself and I think, you know, again, this is why I wanted you on. It's a, it's a great way because nutrition really can uh, help you sculpt yourself better and better every single day. And that, uh, just to, to take it back onto another point about the BMR, so the basal metabolic rate, uh, I had a DEXA scan a few years ago. I found out that my, um, you know, resting metabolic rate was around 1,700. And uh, I know that a lot of people, right, um, who, but I also have those friends, you know, supposedly can eat anything that they want and they just eat for days but i also realized that you know i also probably could be seen to i I, sorry i would probably be seen to not eat so much right but there are things where it's like okay maybe i'm stacking more and bringing that awareness to it of maybe i'm having higher caloric foods or maybe i'm overeating and these things where i know that in australia there's Maybe as an Australian myself, I know the stereotype, but Australians are typically in pretty good shape. I'd say they're above the average human being in relatively good shape. And a lot of my friends from Australia, I would say they're absolute freaks when it comes to their physique, just naturally, right? They are lean freaks and it's crazy. But I also realize that their lifestyle has a massive component of their supposed metabolism. They say that they've got rapid metabolism. Originally, I thought that as well. And I was like, yo, why am I, why am I the one who's, you know, not that I was overly overweight, but I wasn't as lean as, and I was thinking, why, why didn't I get this? And then I realized that, okay, well, some days these kids don't even eat anything, but on other days they eat thousands of calories and they can actually afford to do that. But it's just the perception of, you know, their fast metabolism and it's without lifestyle. We're dealt genetic cards. Everybody is dealt genetic cards, um, but you can change those cards by what you do that's really really important to know like technically you look at your parents that's you know if you kind of do what they do then you're going to end up like them you know physically uh even health wise you know um but you can change those cards that's really really important to think about um by working at it um and that's where i think people really struggle 
um, because they've been born a certain way. You've got half of your mum, half of your dad, and but you can change that, and it's really, really important. Yeah, yeah. So let's go on to um, kind of the first topic that we want to talk about. So with fueling for, you know, an event, for training, things like this, this is something that's important for athletes, you know, as we've said, we want to get the best out of every single day, every training session. Uh, so maximizing results, recovery, things like this. Uh, for me currently, I guess a good anecdote is I'm not fueling at all. This is my new strategy. So I've gone from, you know, fueling and obsessing over each training session with eating the right amount of food, where now live fueling time is in a four hour window every single day. So I'm doing... 20-hour fasts, four hours of an eating. For me, it's something completely new. I don't know if it's working for me yet. I don't know if it's still working for me yet. It's just something that's new for me. Uh, I'm working along with my strength and conditioning coach, as I mentioned. But this is a new strategy for myself. Um, but if we talk about ways that fueling and fueling for recovery and things like this, if we just get into depth about that, that'll be our... I think... Good, good. I, don't, I don't mean to undermine the diet that you're doing. Um, but like from, from, from my opinion, from what I've seen and also what the research suggests as well is that players are under fueling, um, and that compromises everything performance related. And I think that's what I focus on. I, I focus on performance and that is making people play better. Now it's not to say that, you know, what you're doing is, isn't right because what you're doing is probably creating a calorie deficit, which in the long term may drop body fat that then may make you a better player. But but right now, if you were to play, you know, 90 minutes, you would be underfueled for what you do. And when that happens, what are the what are the side effects of that? Certainly for, for a keeper, it is reaction time is significantly decreased. Um, sprint time is decreased. Uh, endurance capacity is significantly decreased. I mean, even the old school Gatorade, Lucasade adverts, just one guy running on a treadmill with water, one guy running, up, running on it with carbohydrate fueled. The guy running with carbohydrate is going to run faster and he's going to run for longer because there's one reason for it. It's physiologically our makeup as repeated sprint sport and power athletes with that kind of side hustle of being an endurance. It's, it's a weird makeup, um, but that is fueled by carbohydrate. And carbohydrate fuels those those actions and particularly winning actions. Um, even if we look at like you look at the World Cup, okay, you look at when the goals were scored in the World Cup. It's it's a stat. It's it's like forty thirty to forty percent of them are scored in the last like five in the last ten minutes of a game. It's it's mental. Like, why is that? Um, like why do you think that is? Tell me. What do you think? What, what I reckon from. I think, let's say, I, I'm thinking in terms of the, the topic of today's episode, I think that it will be, I think, let's say one team is caring about the minor details less than the other, if that makes sense. So let's say if the team who is scoring those goals or the team who is conceding those goals, maybe their approach is different to the other team in terms of longevity or even uh, a strategic aspect. So let's say the coaches. Um, you know, getting the better players on towards the end of the game or vice versa. I think that there could uh, definitely be a few reasons. Oh, we have to know the There's a few reasons, tactically being one of them, but fr from my perspective, what you do fueling-wise um, affects that last 10 minutes of a game, and people don't think of it like that. People just think, oh, I feel fine at half-time. I don't need to take anything. I'll just sip water. But you've actually got to think about how you feel in the last 10 minutes. Now, physiologically, um, we can store enough carbohydrate in our muscles to last around different for different people, but 70, maybe 80 minutes of high intensity exercise. Um, that might be less for some people. It might be a little bit more for some people, uh, but on average around that 70, 80 minute mark. So if you were to consume nothing during that game, that's assuming that you have carbohydrate loaded the day before, increase your carbohydrate stores, you know, up to kind of seven grams of carbs per kilo of body mass the day before. You know, and that's not to say that at 70 minutes, 80 minutes, you just drop off and just can't run anymore, but certainly your physical capacity will be decreased. Um, so that is why carbohydrates are really, really, really important for footballs, for footballers, because they fuel what you do. Um, you don't, it's not like endurance exercise, it's not like marathon running, where you've got a high proportion 
of um of that exercise fueled by fat um we are literally 18 90 percent carbohydrate dominant athletes um so really there isn't really any argument around that the kind of that is why carbohydrates and fueling are important for performance but that's really focusing on match day you know there are probably you know negative aspects of constantly fueling carbohydrate 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 all the time throughout the training week and that comes from like an adaptation perspective but sometimes you've got to stress the body during training you've kind of got to teach the body to to basically work a little bit of other fuel sources to use protein as a fuel source bcas as a fuel source, fuel source fat as a fuel source um but certainly when it comes down to that performance when you want to perform the best that's fueled by carbohydrate um so that's something really really important um and, and really to me there's there's no argument of that um so that's one thing i'll say to you like you're on you're undergoing like fasting at the minute which is fine like I, i'm personally a big fan of intermittent fasting i think it's a really good technique to put somebody in a calorie deficit because you know you might be trying to drop body fat but in the lot if you do that too much or if you do that all the time then you're actually probably going to decrease your performance because your body's going to get used to doing that all the time and you're going to be under fuel during that match day so maybe a better way of doing it would be to do it on days off it could be due to do it on lower intensity training days but certainly when you have a double session day on a tuesday or a really hard day on a thursday that would be when i would change it and i would start fueling with carbohydrate because that's when you've got to be doing out like outputting and Another reason why we fuel with carbohydrate during training, certainly harder training sessions, is we get more quality out of it as well. So you might say you, you want to burn more calories or you're doing sessions to try and burn more calories to drop body fat. If we fuel a little bit better for it, then potentially we'll have higher outputs and we could potentially burn more calories during that session. Whereas you probably know when you're really, really tired going into a session, sometimes it's just hard to do those extra bits. Is our movement quality decreased? Yes, it will be. Um, so I think... It's finding that balance of, of kind of what works, but certainly when it comes to match day, it should be fueled by carbohydrate because that is the main energy source for our brain and our muscles. Yeah, yeah 100%. I, and just to be clear for everyone listening and even just Ted now, so my my history with nutrition and everything like that, I've never, like for me, fasting and going without food for, you know, less than two hours was like a completely foreign thing for me. I've probably never even done it in my life. So like, it was, I was like so obsessed with even just getting a gram of carbohydrates and just to fuel the next bit of training for me because it, it was having an eating disorder. It can be, you can be very obsessive, right? Um, so my new approach, because I've always been trying to drop my fat percent for the past four years, right? And I've literally stayed the exact same fat percent for the past four years, even though I've been tried to be in the cal caloric deficit. This is something very common for people with bulimia nervosa. Uh, but now switching it up trying to be in a caloric deficit where I can get my fat percent to a, um, a standard for professional footballers. I'm, I'm sitting around the 18, 19%. This is what I've literally been at for like my whole life, basically. And it's not overweight, but it's, it's not standard for a professional footballer. So for me to get down to the standard for a professional footballer, for me, because I've been trying for four years, trying to do this in different ways and haven't seen any results, trying to change the approach and as i said i don't know if it's working yet because i've only been doing it for a few weeks i don't know if it's the right approach going forwards or not but this is what i have to figure out if it's going to work for me or if it's not going to work for me and as you said you know there will be training sessions where i'm going in time i mean even for example this morning i rocked up to training and uh i rock up at 7 30 a.m i get told the training's at 11 a.m i thought that originally i got told that it was at 8 15 and i'm thinking okay sweet finished training fasted okay it's not too bad but then i'll have lunch afterwards and i'll be fine and then i find out okay well training's a lot later i can't go home to eat and now i'm going in with fasting for 22 hours going into training and i'm i'm pretty tired i'm pretty you know hungry um but i think that comes that for me especially that comes as a challenge itself you know yes i am fatigued not fatigued but i'm like not I'm not as present as I would be if I was fueled. And I kind of had to switch it a little bit because I knew that this was going to be an issue for me um, as I found out the training was a bit later. But um, thankfully, I was able to just switch it a little bit. I'd, 
you can obviously still see differences in your performance. I actually find that I get very cold, which I find is um, a common thing for people who are fasting for 20, 24 hours or even longer than that. You literally just start to get cold. And I, I was here the other day on my rest day. And I, I, I wanted to do a 24 hour fast. No one told me to do it. I just tried it myself. And I was speaking to Val about this actually, but I actually got very cold and um, yeah, it was quite surprising. And again, it's not, it's not something that I advise doing to everyone, not even anyone, I'd say. It's something, it's just my approach currently right now that I'm doing. Um, and I don't know if it's working or not. I don't know if it will work for me, but um, I think that the most important thing is every, doing it under guidance. Every diet has the same kind of out, like end goal. And that is when we're talking about dropping body fat. But every single diet, whether it be intermittent fasting or just skipping one meal, it could be just um, just reducing carbohydrates, for example, going carb-free, all it equals the same amount, and that is just reducing calories. Um, to... Calories are best calories. Exactly, but that, that's the only way to drop body fat. There is no supplement that can drop body fat. There is, there, there is not cutting out any one macronutrient or micronutrient will not burn body fat. Training fasted will not burn body fat. It'll enhance the way that you use body fat as a fuel source. But is that good for a footballer? Probably not, because you use carbohydrate as a fuel source. But like, yeah, fasting is just one approach. Um, like for me, I think, you know, obviously you tried a couple of different ways to, you know, get in a calorie deficit, and that's why you went to this one. I'd always start a little bit, a little bit kind of like differently. So maybe you'd start just by. Um, reducing the amount of fat in, in your diet. The reason for that, um, fat is obviously really important uh, to help us recover. It's really important uh, sort of aspects cellular in our body. Um, but when we think about the energy of fat, that, you know, a gram of protein contains four calories, a gram of carbohydrate contains four calories, but a gram of fat contains nine calories. By reducing, it's almost like triple the energy in fat compared to protein and carbs. So by reducing that, it reduces our overall calorie intake. That's usually a good place to start. Um, second would be like um, be like reducing the amount of carbohydrates in our diet and assessing whether you, you're having too much. The reason for that is that carbohydrates are usually these things that are over-consumed quite typically. It's quite easy to over-consume carbohydrate, especially as an athlete, because you kind of crave it a little bit. So it's a good thing to assess that, track it, are we having too much? Uh, and then next stop, would be to look at you know potentially um you know skipping one meal or trying to just um you know leave out dinner one one evening as, as a way to um you know reduce the calorie intake and then obviously you're on the kind of extreme end we are just eating within a four hour period um not to say that's not wrong um but certainly there are ways that i would go steps i would take first before i get to your step i think that's important to, to say for anyone listening yeah yeah 100 percent at just some listeners also know, I've also probably taken all of those steps up fortunately, but I, I've I've come at to I've almost come to one of the last strings for me, and um, it's it's this um, but there is a there is a very very large mental aspect towards the nutrition strategy as well because for me, uh, calorie counting was something I've been for a long time, and I know that a lot of people do calorie count, and for me, that's something that did not help at all. It led to a lot of binge eating, and uh, I know that for Charlie, our other co-host, calorie counting works to him, but it might, as, as I said, for me, it doesn't work. Um, do you actually advise calorie counting for most players or is it something that you try to steer away from? Because athletes typically are more susceptible to eating disorders uh, than the average person, I believe. Correct. Yeah. So I, I'm not a huge fan of calorie counting. Um, you know, I'd always take it like an individual approach. If, if someone really likes it, then great. Um, but it wouldn't be somewhere that I start. I think, you know, the way I would start is just by assessing, you know, what, what's gone on with their diet, what, what's gone on physiologically for the last couple of months. So I'd probably take a couple of weigh-ins, take, take, um, body composition analysis over a period of time and be like, okay, well, you're fairly stable at the bit. Maybe they're in a bit of a plateau. So we could safely say that calories in are equaling calories out. And then we'd maybe look to just um, add additional calories if they're trying to gain, or we'd look to just remove two to 300 calories a day if they're looking to reduce. Whereas if they are have high fluctuations in their body mass and we see, you know, it's it's almost coming in differently, then, then we've got to go things a little bit differently. And that's when we've got to try and 
um, really kind of dialed into the calories because it might be very, very different on, on different days, but it, it kind of should be. Um, and I know we'll go on to it in a minute around that periodization, but I think that is where our diet should go as footballers, that we, we should periodize our, our diet um, just like we do our training, just like we do our recovery. Um, we shouldn't eat the same thing on every single day. Uh, that, that's really important. And I think sometimes we get into habits. And I think that you when we a lot of people listening now will probably be thinking, you know, I'd pretty much have the same breakfast every day. Like I have the same omelet every day. Uh, I have the same lunch every day. Maybe I have the same protein bar every day and the same shake every day. But actually, when you think about the exercise that you do, that changes completely. Sometimes we're burning, you know, for example, on an off day, you know, Val, you're, you're probably burning 2,000 calories. You're probably, if that, you're probably just chilling because you're recovering. Whereas like you mentioned that when you're on a hard training day, you're burning up to 4,000 calories. And we, sh we should change our nutrition to adapt that on a daily basis. So, so a lot of the times uh, you know, when, I, when I devise a nutrition plan and somebody wants um, like, somebody wants like a day-to-day -day nutrition plan, I don't really go day by day. What I'll do is I'll split up based on sessions. So say if we have like a, a rest day nutrition, like for example, rest days, for example, light training days, so it could be like level one uh, or like an RP of up to four. We might have like a, a double day, a match day minus one and a match day because they completely different. They completely different. And that's where I think people should start thinking. I think that's where I think people could sculpt themselves better into better athletes but by going along along with that periodized nutrition route the way to periodize it yeah calories are obviously the number one thing you've got to think about calories in you've got to equal calories out if you're looking to maintain or you've got to be getting into a surplus if you're looking to gain strength and gain weight because that's going to help your body adapt to the stimulus that you're giving it uh, then you want to kind of be dropping down into the the macronutrients I think that's often where people start with macronutrients, um, when actually they should be thinking about calories first. When we think about our three main macros, we've got protein, carbs, and fat. Protein for a footballer should, should largely, you know, be fairly similar. Um, as a general range, you're looking at around about that higher end, so around about that kind of two grams of protein per kilo of body mass per day. So the larger you are, the more protein you need to support your muscles. On off days, you might want to go a little bit higher. Um, it's particularly if you're injured, you might even want to go even higher as well because we're reducing our overall energy intake. And that is all about having your muscles adapt to the stimulus um, and also having them recover effectively. But that two grams per kilo, for me, is is the sweet spot. So that's 160 grams of carbohydrate, uh, 160 grams of protein uh, for like an 80 kilo athlete. And it's important that you reflect on what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Key things that I usually see that are, that are poor are usually at breakfast. I think you've got to be nailing that protein at breakfast. Um, I think a lot of people wake up, have like toast or cereal. And actually we're thinking about muscle protein balance. Um, you're waking up after seven or eight hours without eating. You're gonna be in a negative protein balance. Your body is gonna be, your muscles are gonna be uh, what was called catabolizing. So you're losing that muscle. And when we start, when we eat sufficient amount of protein, it's called anabolism. So it's going up, our will go to a positive protein balance. Um, and to be in, we want to try and maintain a positive protein balance as much as we can. And that is trying to have protein little and often throughout the day, every single main meal and between meals also. And that's where like supplements can help because a protein, uh, sorry, a, a, a football player, you know, they need more protein than an endurance athlete and, and a regular person. And it's really hard to hit that two grams per kilo on a daily basis, um, particularly post-exercise where we get like the, what we call like the window, um, which is where blood is pumping around your body, your muscles act as like a sponge, a sponge to absorb those rice chain amino acids and that protein is going to help your body recover better. Um, you can do it through food, but usually after exercise, people are a little bit, um, you know, aren't really hungry. So that's where like, I think protein shakes uh, are, are fantastic, something that I use with pretty much every single athlete that I work with because I know it's really hard to hit those protein goals. To start there, your carbohydrate uh, in terms of periodization should be the main thing that we change um, because carbs fuel performance. So it's really important that when we're not performing, we're not fueling up with carbohydrates. Um, so like days off and things like that, our carbohydrate should come down. That's going to reduce our calorie intake down. And we're not going to be over consuming calories on those off days. And that's usually where I think people get it wrong and where people really struggle with 
of gaining body fat. They're usually over-consuming calories and carbohydrate on those off days. Um, that doesn't mean you're not allowed like treats. I think everybody should have treats in their diet and have what you like, you know, whether that be going out for meals and enjoying it with friends. Um, but like, when's the best time to have treats and over-consume and indulge? It's on days when you work hard. It's, it's on those days, it's on the match days. It's on those double session days. It's on those days when you burn 15, 1600 active calories. Because your body is going to deal with those calories completely different. If anything, it'll help you, it'll help you recover. Because um, that's important. Sometimes calories in, got to equal those calories out. And sometimes, you know, doing it via treat, you know, it's important for your head as well. Um, and, you know, I, I'd never be one to say no. Sometimes you take an athlete's diet and completely rearrange things around um, and it just completely worked better for them because they're having treats on better days. They're going a little bit easier on their off days, but they're kind of over-consuming a little bit on those training days and match days. And we see better performances, we see better recovery, uh, and they're still enjoying what you know what they what they like eating. Um, but yeah, carbohydrates are the main things we should be manipulating when periodizing. Um, so carbohydrates, mainly starchy carbohydrates, is what we try and manipulate. So things like pastas, rices, um, potato bread, things like that, things that are um, really, really high in carbohydrate. Reduce them on those days that you're not working, increase them on those days when you are working. Um, little example could be at breakfast. So say if you really like having an omelette, all right, let's give that as an example. On a day off, you might just have uh, an omelette with one slice of toast, and you might have like a maybe a protein yogurt on the side, something like that. So relatively low in carbohydrate, 30 grams from, from the bread. Whereas how might we adapt that on a training day? Well, it could be that you have your omelette, but you have two slices of toast. It might be that you still have your yogurt, but you add a little bit of granola to it. You might have a side of orange juice, like fresh orange juice. All of a sudden, we've taken the same meal, we've adapted it, so it's now got 100 grams of carbohydrate in. And now that's going to help us fuel our performance better. Uh, and it's going to give us those extra calories to support performance and recovery. Um, sometimes just have a look at what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. And how could you adapt it based on the demands of what you're doing? So I hope that's a good overview of periodization. But if there's one thing that any player gets out of this today, it would be that. That that was amazing. There was so much out of that just that past few minutes. So like what we always do is we, we make like summary sheets for our listeners and obviously clips to the podcast. That just there there will be a lot of clips and summary sheets um because there is so much, you know, uh, very applicable things for everyone, you know, just to take out of that. Um, so that being said, Val, if you have um, any thoughts, any questions, we'd we'll love to hear what, what, you've, what you've got. Yeah, so um, basically what Ted just said, brilliant stuff. I, I have a controversial perspective on the protein intake. As Ted mentioned, uh, many people often skip the, the breakfast protein intake and we tend to, or they tend to, grab something, for example, cereal or Nutella toast or whatsoever, some uh, quick carbs and high sugars, for example. So I basically give the statement of uh, we basically consume too much protein per serving. That's why many people get bloated or they have the feeling of their digestion is maybe very heavy. That's what I experienced in the past. But I'm also saying we should hit the protein goal of our daily example, like you mentioned. So if, we're, if a guy is 80 kilos, uh, one should try to hit their 160 grams. What I'm, I'm meaning with that is that we try to split it up in all of our meals and all of our snacks. That's why, for example, in breakfast, you should directly start off the morning with a protein, uh, protein grams. Or, for example, in a snack, have a protein snack, something like a protein shake, like a protein bar, eggs, boiled eggs, I don't know, whatever. But I tend to believe that um, we get a lot of problems from overeating too much protein per serving. That's what I've experienced by myself. And um, I don't know what's your take on that, but maybe you could also give the listeners out there some practical tips. We, we've now talked a lot about the theoretical stuff, but what would be some low-hanging fruits people can adapt immediately? Like, for example, they have a high training day and they maybe still go to school in terms of a young athlete. How can they immediately uh, impact their performance during training with maybe a carb example that you can give um, or a post-training example of maybe a protein um, food or ingredients that they can have the access to which 
they can take immediately from this podcast because I think many people don't have the knowledge of what could work uh, or there is too much out there like you mentioned in the in, at the beginning uh, through social media we get a lot of influence what would be one practical uh, tip for during training and after okay yeah well start with the protein because I think that's probably a hot topic um, but yeah no I, I fully agree with you about splitting up and I, I think yeah you can over consume protein um, in one sitting it's a bit of a myth to say you can't absorb protein some people say you can't absorb more than 30 grams of protein in one sitting but that, that's not correct but certainly from a digestion perspective yes um, I think that it would it is a you know, it's a big it's bulky it, it increases satiety so it makes you feel full that's what protein does so trying to get the little and often approach is really really important and yeah like I said people struggle and certainly young athletes really struggle to have it at breakfast I mean there's some professional players I work with right now that are 20 21 they still struggle to have it at breakfast um, and from an overall development perspective that's really really important um, but that's where I think that you know I mean I remember when I was a young a young athlete and I just used to wake up and I was not hungry so it's really and I would my my 16 year old self would say to me yeah I know I should have protein but I'm not hungry in the morning so what do I do and that's a fair enough point. I can't make somebody hungry. Uh, but it's about being prepared. Is Often I'll go to school and at about 10 o'clock in the morning, I was starving. And I didn't have anything. I didn't prep anything. Sometimes I'd eat my lunch early. You know, so it is about preparing, knowing your body, knowing what you're going to go into. Um, I'm a big fan of like using uh, like smoothies. One thing I wish I did, um, you know, when I was younger was prepare a smoothie and take it with me in there and just carry it in my bag um that that would be huge and certainly like i find the liquid um the liquid carbohydrates and liquid protein a lot easier to get down and quite enjoyable as well so that could be something like um you know 300 mils of kind of your choice of milk whether that be a dairy version or a non-dairy version almond milk coconut milk um could be like 20 grams of, of, of protein so some protein powder in there like a chocolate one you could add a banana tablespoon of peanut butter maybe a little bit of spinach in there give it a whiz up you've got like a really nice chocolate banana peanut butter shake that's going to give you at least 30 grams of protein hit it's going to give you at least 50 uh, 50 grams of carbohydrate it's also going to help hydrate you as well and i would just get a kind of and i work with a young athlete at the minute um not in not in football he's he's in um he, he's a, a racing driver and he really struggles to have um you know eat, eat breakfast in the morning and that's been like a big thing for him is that waking up and he really enjoys it. He start, it's like, at the start, he's like, I'm not hungry. I don't eat until 12. Um, and that was a big, big tick box for him. It could be jumping on things like, yeah, like like a protein bar is really good. Uh, and I know like a really good alternative to chocolate. Um, he could just be taking in some, um, like an overnight oats. It's something it's as, as easy as you could do. So quite simply, you know, 20, 30 grams of oats, top it up with some um, some milk of your choice or a little bit of yogurt. You can use like dairy-free yogurt as well, or like soy yogurt. Um, stir in like a, a, tea, a tablespoon of protein powder, add some berries in there, a little bit of honey. Leave it in the fridge to set overnight. It's ready. It's almost like a, like a really nice flavored kind of porridge uh, with added fruit. That can just sit in your bag for at least two hours and you can kind of start to have it in your first lesson or whatever. Um, you know, it's about preparing and it's about preparation of don't think about how you feel at that time. Think about how you're going to feel in two hours. And that's like with every single athlete, whether I just be preparing in the morning or preparing for, you know, at half time in a match, think about how you're going to feel at the end, not how you feel in that situation. So that's kind of my, my main piece of advice there. Um, when we're talking about carbohydrates onto the next one. Like again, it comes down to preparation, I and mean, I think athletes need to to really uh, take ownership of it. Um, and like a young student athlete should be, if they can do, tell their parents what to um, you know what to buy them and what to prepare for them. But ideally, take ownership of your of your own performance. Um, you know, I, I think all all ages, if you really want it, you've got to then you've got to seek it because parents and guardians don't always know that's the best thing for you to have and that's what probably why the, your audience are listening to this right now because they want to get better um so like if you know you've got a session after school say if you finish school at 4 p.m and you've got an hour's drive to training you know your last meal was probably at lunchtime should you really go four or five hours 
um, without eating and then train and then actually your next meal is going to be for, at dinner at seven o'clock. Like, that's not going to help your performance. What can you take with you that's just easy um, and kind of ticks those fueling fueling goals for you to have um, kind of when you drive them to training at four o'clock? So it could be things like um, like fruits are ideal. You know, it's giving you your vitamins. It's giving you carbohydrates. It's like a banana. It could be like an oat bar up here. We've got like Nature Valley bars and energy bars. There's so much of them. Try and go for more like oat-based bars and bakes that's going to give you that carbohydrate without kind of fueling you with chocolate and, and, and refined sugar uh, and things like that. Um, you know, it could be things like uh, like squares bars, banana loaf. Um, you know, there if you like Google like performance like recipes like uh, homemade energy bars and homemade protein balls, there are so many solutions now that we can find. It's just kind of knowing where to look for them. Um, and so I always use like uh, recommend like BBC Good Food over here in the UK. I'm sure you guys can find it where you are. And they've got so many kind of recipes on there. Um, and then you just type in like meal prep or snack prep. And it'll give you so many ideas um, that will help you fuel towards your performance. Well, I mean, again, there's so many, you know, amazing ways that we could take action from that you know as you mentioned taking taking accountability for your nutrition is something that's very important obviously parents they might not be completely um educated in this area they might not be completely let's say even involved or they might not see a relevance or importance in it and i know that in germany from living with different families it, it really does vary from house to house even uh, I know that from some houses that I've been at, and I'm sure Val can vouch to this as well. In Germany, they love their bread and Nutella in the morning. And being being from Australia, when I saw this reverse side, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a joke so, because in Australia, it's like, oh, okay, well, it's bacon and eggs and toast and, you know, that's the typical Aussie breakfast or it's just cereal. And, yeah, very, very delicious. It's really hard, especially when you're in, like, we call it digs over here, where you're in, like, funded accommodation by the club. And actually, like, they'll get given money for to spend on you on meals. Um, and from my experience, like, sometimes the host families will spend as little as possible so that they can then keep some of that money. And that's quite... <laughs> and that's something that I know the clubs over here are trying to really educate the host families on. Um, cause yeah, you could just be doing like some bread and uh, just some toast for breakfast, come back and have like a microwave meal is quite common. Um, and then it gets about like, you know, if that does happen to you uh, and you're in a good situation of being, you know, being looked after by a, a professional club, like again, you've got to speak to someone first, somebody at the club. Um, can you get a little fridge in your room? What's kind of snacks can you get? What can you kind of take home from the club from a meal prep perspective? Um, but it is really, really challenging. Uh, like, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, in in Germany, we are thankfully not too many clubs do a host family. They typically do a thing called an internet, which is like a football boarding school. So typically, uh, they have all of the nutrition provided by nutritionists on campus, which is quite convenient. Uh, I think it's a good way of doing it. Definitely minimizes, you know, those um bad experiences that players in digs could definitely have. I know even um, from personal uh, experiences that some of my friends have had in England with actually having host families who have actually literally made that player move to a different club because the home club wasn't actually taking that seriously enough. And this player actually moved to another club because of that. Um, so again, it's just reiterating the importance and, um, you know, all of these things about how nutrition is very impactful in football. Yep. Um, yeah, lots of lots of different anecdotes for everyone, and, and it's completely individual to the to the person. As I've said this whole episode, and um, be, being uh, cautious of the time here, uh, I just want to check Val. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on before we uh, wrap up the last few questions, Ted? One last thing. Um, so basically. As, as uh, Nick already mentioned, accountability towards your own nutrition, I believe out of my, on my own uh, experience from the past, still being in school, I know the example. You, you come to school, maybe in the morning you, you did want to have some, some bigger breakfast, you eat some quick carbs, and now you're at lunchtime. 
what do you eat then? Many people don't bring something to school. They maybe eat in the cafeteria or whatsoever. I personally started to take my, my own food to school. And this is a very practical and easy tip. Being prepared is key. Very easy. Take or ask your parents, for example, to make one extra portion in the night and you just take this with you. This is a quick solution for being prepared because most of the times you don't want to spend any more money. You're not allowed to go off campus. Maybe you don't have food at all and then you start uh, starve yourself until later. And in those moments, I believe that um, the, the temptation to go for something quick, uh, counterproductive for your performance is very high. So that's my final po uh, point. This is exactly, exactly where I'd go as well, to be honest. And I, I used to take my own food in. Um, and I never used to eat in, in the canteens at school. Um, but yeah, best way to do it is, is pure meal prep. Um, and it's actually really, really cost efficient as well. And people think it's like, no, 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 like, you know, they happily spend three, four pound a day on a cool lunch that is nutritionally horrendous. But you could cut that in half and probably get a lot more um, just by making it, making it at home or, or yeah, like making an extra portion and taking it in. Uh, I fully agree. Yeah, top advice, top advice. Um, that being said, Pet, for our last question, we just want to go over three ways that you yourself sculpt yourself on a daily basis or ways you see uh, or help players sculpt themselves on a daily basis. Yeah, I think, like, I think myself um, is, is a tough one. Like, you know, I always, like, probably personally, like, I always try and run every day. And, you know, I, I think, like, exercise is so important for me um you know just mentally and like i don't think i'd have any energy or even days when i don't exercise like i just, I just don't feel great in myself and i think it's really hard to to be a nutritionist and provide advice if i'm not kind of doing it myself a little bit um that's more of like a personal thing um but i think you know relationships is everything for me um and, and everywhere that i work and everybody i work with like it it's about it's about developing relationships and, and putting people first before athletes. And I think you don't need to be a nutritionist working in a club to take to take something from that. And I think that even if you're an athlete, the relationships that you build in the team that you're at with the players that you play with, with the coaches, with the people looking after you, that determines how you are as a person. And I know for a fact, like for a fact that when a team signs a player, like how they are as a person and how they develop relationships and how they how they put themselves in the changing room plays a huge huge impact on them actually joining that team like i know a hundred percent about it um there's been times in the past where i've been asked by a, a manager oh you've worked with that player before what, what's he like would he fit in here like a hundred percent so like me personally like trust is everything relation building relationships is everything and what i do but it should also be kind of what I, what I think everybody does in sport because it's so competitive and you've got to get lucky and you've got to have talent but you can also be a good person as well that's really really important um but I think that's kind of like I'll I'll, I'll tell that as point one about myself I think um like in terms of me and my practice like I want the player to know that I'm here to I'm here to guide them like I'm not I, I would never tell someone like what to eat i think that's really really poor practice from my perspective my aim is to develop like autonomous athletes and that that's part of my philosophy like i want to be able to give them the tools for them to kind of make their own choices so like i don't really believe in like some professional clubs do like table service and they have to order through an app and they're only allowed to choose certain foods based on their goals but i don't believe in that i believe in players making their own decisions when i look over and i see a player has made the right decision they've taken what i've said and they've done it themselves i see that as a huge win because i know they've learned something and that's kind of everything um and i think the final one for me is a hundred percent finding like a balance with nutrition like i i've seen a lot of nutritionists make mistakes and probably same with strength and conditioning coaches as well is that they go like a hundred percent nutrition like you've got to be really strict and you've got to be like this like definitely not i think always follow at least the the kind of 80 20 rule and that's like 80 percent you know good clean nutrition and you know 
doing it the best that you can, thinking about performance and, and making the right choices. But that extra 20% is really important. In that, that might be 10, it might be 5% for some people. It might be 1% for you, Nick, um, because you know, you're know you quite you're quite strict in the way you do things. But definitely at least 20%, and that could be if you like having like, you know, if chocolate's your thing and you know, you like having a piece of, a couple of pieces of chocolate every single night, like it's not going to kill you. But if actually it helps you relax and helps you chill and, and makes you feel good, then that's a big, that's a big win in terms of nutrition. Um, if you like, man, I've seen, I've seen some teams like ban sauces and have no sauce available. And I'm like, sat there like, come on, like it's literally 2% of your plate. Like, you know, if that's your thing, get the rest of your plate right and have that 20% up to you. Um, I definitely just find that balance between like performance and health. Health is really, really important. And certainly for like a, a long-term athlete that you want to be, don't just, you know, think I've got to do all these like quick fixes that could damage health, but may increase performance in the short term. Like put health first and performance will come off the back of that. Like good athletes are healthy athletes. That's really, really important. Yeah, really important. And I think that, you know, those three um, things that you mentioned there, it, it's great to hear everyone's individual ways that they are used to sculpt themselves or to sculpt others. And Ted, thank you so much for today. Uh, we really appreciate your time. It was an excellent uh, episode for us to even just learn all these new ways to, you know, take accountability, take action. I think the main thing um, for us listeners uh, to take away from this episode is you know, the accountability uh, and, you know, taking things into your own into your own heads because at the end of the day, nutrition, there's a lot of power in, you know, taking accountability for your nutrition because there are, there are one percenters, there are two percenters. Nutrition can take up a lot of uh, the performance ratio. And yeah, that being said, Ted, again, we really appreciate the time today. And I hope that all the listeners um, have learned a lot and they can uh, take away and start acting on some of the things we've talked about today. It was a great chat, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Brilliant.